listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Good morning, Northside. Okay, come on. We got the teens in here. Good morning, Northside. There we go. Um, a couple weeks ago, I love upsets. This week, I do not at all. So I know if you're a KU fan, you're loving this because my Sooners fell. Yeah, I see some fist punts. I even saw a KU shirt in the house. There's right there. Okay, um, Mizzou fans, I know you love this too because you just like to see the Sooners fall. Anybody else? Anybody else want to let me have it? Now's your chance. Now's your chance. We're talking about oneness conflict, so I know you won't really be able to focus if I keep this on. So I'll just take it off and... Try not to cause any more conflict. Is this better? Is this better to be like this? Isn't this Cardinal country? Okay, I am not a fan. My dad loves baseball. A good, great friend of mine. Uh, let me borrow this. I won't tell who it is. He goes by initials. He might be sitting in this back section over here somewhere, but um, he loves Jesus. Now, there's not any big games going on today, right? Nothing big today. <clears throat> No, we got a few Chiefs fans in the house. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. I love the Sooners more than I love the NFL. There are 41 Sooners in the NFL, and the team with the most, the Broncos, they've got five. And uh, the Chiefs do have four. So don't, Brenda's not in here. She doesn't know I have this on. So I'm still a Chiefs fan. I'll take this off too. I'm sorry. We won't wear this. And there's nothing else that'll stir the pot, I'm sure. Now, wait. Rivers of heaven flow with this right here. So I know we're all in agreement that this is the right shirt to wear during my sermon. In fact, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. I want you to think of your favorite drink. Well, your go-to at a restaurant, your go-to at the movies. I'm confident we're all going to say Dr. Pepper together. You ready? One, two, three. We're all going to say it together. Here we go. One, two, three. Dr. Oh, gosh. We're a mess. We're not even close. Okay, I think I have something that works way, way better we, we're in bluegrass country. We got to all be on the same page music styles, right? Your favorite kind of music, right? Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, not as loud. A little rock, a little something, a little. We're not even close there. Okay, I've got it. Here's the one where we will all be unified. Politics. You ready? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Why do we laugh? Because that one raises the blood pressure. That gets really personal. We can really go to war on that. Forget your football and your sports. We can go to battle on that one right there. Well, the truth is, our world is so fragmented right now, isn't it? We can so easily grab hold of something and just go to war about it. No peace becomes very personal for us. And my job here at Northside, I am the small group minister. By the way, let me announce real quick. Uh, the announcement about the corn maze, that's not going to happen tonight because of the weather. They're going to do it next week. So if you're a parent and haven't heard that, just bring your kids to small group. They're going to have life groups here tonight instead of going to the corn maze. Okay. That quick announcement out of the way. I'm the small group minister here. If you are new to Northside and we haven't met and my job is to help you connect with others here at Northside. In fact, our mission statement is to connect, connect people to Christ and one another by making disciple makers. And so I want to help you find community. I want to help you grow in your journey of becoming a disciple maker. But here's the truth. Community's hard. It's not easy. 
And it's not just because we have all these different likes that we can kind of laugh about, but it's because we're broken people. And we live in a broken, messed up world. Michael DeFazio, in his book, More Jesus, he puts it like this. He says, community is full of selfish people, malicious people, deceitful people, unforgiving people, abrasive people, shy people, mean people, negative people, people with bad attitudes, opinionated people, liberals, conservatives, sinners, saints, People who talk so quiet, you can't hear what they're saying. People who talk so loud, you can't hear what you're thinking. People who make more money than you and enjoy bigger homes and better vacations and nicer, well, at least safer cars. People who don't make any money and want to borrow some of yours. People less intelligent than you who can't seem to get it. People more intelligent than you who look at you like you don't get it. People who smoke, people who drink, people who swear, people who don't, won't be caught dead smoking, drinking, or swearing, people who abuse, people who let people abuse. Don't get me wrong. I love people. In fact, I'm, I'm energized by people. I love being here on Sundays. I'm ready to go to the mall for lunch and meet more people. Brenda, she's done. She's had enough people. Uh, that's not her uh, love language. But the truth is, we're a mess, aren't we? We're just a mess sometimes. People are fickle. They're arrogant. They're unreliable. They're unstable. They're stinky if they wear Cubs jerseys and Sooners jerseys, right? I I am. You are. In fact, community can't happen without us. Community can't happen without them. And where there is community, there is conflict. Now, some of you are thinking, now, John, I thought you were the small group minister. You're supposed to encourage us to get in community, not tell us all the reasons we shouldn't because there's people in community. Well, I've heard a lot of people say over the years that, oh, I just don't need it. I don't need to come to church or I don't need to get into a group because I can just do that on my own. Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 kind of tells us something different. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return drawing near. You see, the truth is we need each other. We need each other to help us live lives that reflect Christ. And I'm convinced that without community together as the church and in smaller groups, that we won't ever really reach the full maturity in Christ that he has planned for us. You see, coming together as believers, it may get messy, but it's so, so important as it gives us courage and it stirs us up to love and good works. Eugene Peterson colorfully says it like this. Jesus doesn't seem to be very discriminating in the children he lets into his kitchen to help with the cooking. Get that? Stirs it up. Messy. in the kit. That's me when I cook anyway. When we let so many different people, though, into the kitchen, then there's going to be conflict. Michael DeFazio, again in his book, says you can't have authentic community without conflict. It's good. It's healthy. It will help us grow into who Christ wants us to be. So we've been going through this book of Colossians together on Sunday mornings, along with most of our adult life groups throughout the week. And today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Colossians three eleven through 14. Now Paul's going to give us 
some great help in dealing with community, dealing with conflict, and developing oneness as believers with Christ. So will you join me? Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 11. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule over your hearts. And be thankful. You may be seated. Now, before we get to the meat of how to deal with conflict, let's first remember who we are. We are not Sooners or Longhorns or Jayhawks or Chiefs or Broncos or Cubs or Cardinals. We are not our nationality or our race. We are not our spiritual heritage or lack of spiritual heritage. We are not the haves and have-nots. We are not Republicans, Democrats, or Independents. Paul tells us we are chosen by God. Did you catch that? Did you, did you feel that? You are chosen. Can I get an amen? It's in the scripture. It's right there. You are chosen. We have to start there. He says we are holy. We are loved. Now, yes, we each choose freely to respond to God's love. But one thing is true. Is true. He chose you. He chose us. We are holy not because we're perfect. It's not anything we did. But because we are simply in Christ. The theme that keeps coming up all through Colossians. Set apart specifically for his service. You see, holiness is not about a good act we do for God. But simply being set apart for Jesus. I want you to look at the picture on the screen. These are some uh, depictions of temple vessels that would have been in the Old Testament temple at the time of uh, the Old Testament where the people came to give their sacrifices, where the priest would give those sacrifices to the Lord. And the vessels that were in the temple were considered holy only because they were simply set apart for special use in the temple alone. See, Gary Demarest in his book, The Mystery of Christ in Us, says this, So it is with people. We are holy not because we're better than others, but because we've been set apart to be God's people and servants. Paul goes on to tell us that because we're chosen, because we're holy, because we're loved, we're to treat others with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And we could do a whole sermon about that. But what happens when other people drop the ball? What happens when somebody doesn't do any of those things and they, they hurt us? They offend us. What happens when we drop the ball? What happens when we say something 
to hurt somebody. It, maybe it's a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's even ignorance. We don't even know we hurt somebody. But conflict has arisen in a relationship, whether it's one-on-one or in a group. I don't know about you, but when I get hurt, I tend to go towards angry. That's definitely my personality. And what are we supposed to do with that? Because if you have followed along in Colossians, just a few verses early in chapter 3, verse 8, doesn't Paul tell us to get rid of anger? Okay, so he tells us to get rid of it. But when someone hurts me and I'm supposed to just walk away and choose not to be angry, well, Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. I like the way the NLT, the New Living Translation says it. It says, don't, let, don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. So let's get a little bit better grip on what this is talking about. Richard T. Case in his book, Life and Forgiveness, kind of helps us see how all of this happens. Follow along with this. Here's what he says. He says, the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus. This cornerstone is unique and is the foundation of true faith. The stone has been created by the tools of justice and righteousness and thus made perfect. So we know that God acts and reacts justly and operates within righteousness when it comes to even our wounds. Justice is and always has been God's measuring line, the mark for which he is aiming. So if justice is God's mark and we have God's spirit indwelling in each and every one of us as believers, it is natural for us to react with anger to unfairness, wrongdoing, and inequality. Again, this anger is sanctioned by God and has been established as his measuring line automatically dictating our responses. So maybe this little example will help. Um, Just this weekend, Becca came into the living room where Brenda and I were sitting and she had cooked up a plan. She wanted to have a friend over for the, for the weekend or for the day. And immediately, I said no. Mom said no. Yes, we both said no. Uh, I'll tell you, we usually say yes because we've got two older kids that are gone. And we just have Becca. She's like an only child. We want people to come over to the house and, and Becca to have friends over. But I'd been gone at a conference and I just, a sermon, I just needed to just be home with family. And so as all of teenagers do, probably all kids started coming up with the reasons why it's just a better idea to have a friend over. And I'm trying to give some reasons why it's not. And they were really poor reasons. So then she's trying to go against and tell me why my reasons were poor. And it was just like, my line of justice was getting lower and lower because I was fatigued. And, and finally I just said, we're done. No, not going to happen. And so she walks off and goes upstairs, and I hear words. I don't know what she said. She mumbled something. I turn to Brennan, and I'm like, okay. She crossed my line of justice, but now she crossed God's line of justice. I don't know what she said, but we're going to have to have a talk later, right? You've had that happen. We've had relationships where our line of justice gets crossed. God's line of justice, then anger starts to come in. And we do or say something we don't ever want to do. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about this idea, this word anger in your life. Think about the word anger. What are you angry about? At whom are you angry? What did they do to you? What did they deny you? Or maybe it's just what, at what injustices in the world right now are you just infuriated along with God? So I'm going to take a minute. I just want to give us a chance to 
Look at those questions. Think about it. I want to have a minute of silence just for you to think about and answer those questions. And this is a good time. I'm going to end with a little prayer because there are some things that are infuriating that are going on in our world. And I think it's a good time for us to just say a prayer for Israel, for Palestine, and even the families and those in Maine that have gone through uh, the devastation there. So let's just take a minute of silence. Father God, as some things have come to our heart, Lord, help us just to surrender those things right now to you and to hear the rest of your message through your word, Lord. Father, I lift up Israel, I lift up Palestine, I lift up the community and families in Maine, Lord, and all the other injustices that happen here on this earth. You know, you know what they are, Lord. I just surrender them to you, Father, and pray that your will would be done in all of these things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Our passage of scripture this morning uh, gives us some great guidance on how to deal with this one another, especially when conflict arises. And the first thing Paul says to us is a one another statement. He says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of us are naturally tempted to give up on people when things get difficult, when things get rough, just to kind of move on. We can go to a different small group or we can go to another service or better yet, we can just go to another church where they're going to do more of what I like and what I agree with and sing the songs I want or whatever it might be. Satan can get in and we can start doing this everywhere. We can just go get another job. We can go get a better friend. We can go get a better spouse. Whatever it might be. Paul says, instead of running away, as followers of Christ, we should bear with one another and stay put. You see, we aren't perfect people. You're not going to find them anywhere at any other church or another friend that's perfect. We aren't perfect people who never do wrong. But as Christians, we are called to not give up on one another when wrong is done. Why? Because God doesn't do it with us. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake, for the world's sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God bears with us in our strengths, in our weaknesses, in our good days, in our bad days. And we are called to do the same and put up with one another. We're called to share one another's burdens. We're called to engage with one another. We need to stick together like gum sticks to the bottom of our shoes. We need to stick together like peanut butter sticks to the roof of our mouth. Well, probably the most annoying thing to me, we need to stick together like those plastic sacks at the checkout, self-checkout line, right? We got all our stuff there. We're checking out. People are waiting. There's a long line. Can't get the gum things open. What's the problem here? But 
we meet him. We stay there. We continue to engage and wrestle with him. Why? Because we can't carry out all our groceries by ourselves to our car or into our home. So we engage and we make it happen. Sometimes a little lady comes over and helps me. She's so nice. Why? Our groceries are important to us. We took the time to get them. We need to get them home. Guys, we'll, we'll be patient for stuff like that. Or maybe, maybe we're not patient, but we'll wait on it. We'll engage in it. Aren't our relationships even more important to stick with and to engage with? Now, bearing with one another, it doesn't make the conflict go away. It just means we're going to engage it as followers of Christ. And Paul tells us the next thing we need to do when he says, graciously forgive each other. Now, you thought bearing with one another might be tough, but the next step can be even harder. But it's vital because... Human relationships that endure are built upon a natural need for forgiveness. We try to ground our relationships in things like compatibility, lasting community, satisfaction, physical and intellectual attraction, common interests, like I'm going to get together with all the Sooner fans and we're just all going to be happy, or any number of things. But it doesn't always work that way. I believe that the ultimate basis for a lasting relationship, for lasting community is found in the truth that we need to forgive and we need to be forgiven. And that will help us to love better, to grow into all that Christ wants for us. I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier concerning this justice line of God. It's perfect. God's justice line never changes. Just and righteousness And perfection are who God is, but we are not. So here's what happens. In our line of justice, it's often changing, just like the story I told about Becca when she came and wanted to have a friend over. And different factors play into this. Sometimes it's the severity of the hurt that we've experienced, or it's the frequency of the hurt, or oftentimes it's just our levels of frustration. Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? Are you fearful? Are you grieving or sad? Are there disappointments? Are there some deep roots of bitterness that just cause you to get angry about everything? Or maybe it's just your current state of emotion, something that you're dealing with that's going on in your life. A lot of times, guys, it's our spiritual walk with God. If we're not being faithful and consistent in that, walking with God, we quickly become self-willed self-centered, only thinking about our personal agenda instead of God's agenda. And all of these things will affect our line of justice. And honestly, as believers, we have two choices. There is no gray. Okay. We can either walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. Romans 7 makes this pretty clear. There's not a neutral choice in these matters. Paul says in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 7, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. We felt that. That's why Paul continues to say in Colossians and in and his other's book, other books that we need to cut off that sin nature. We need to be in Christ because every one of us will naturally default to our flesh, which always leads to unforgiveness. It breeds bitterness, a desire to manipulate others to achieve what we want, our objectives. 
It even can bring along a victim mentality. And all of these things are just a foothold of our enemy, the devil. What does scripture tell us? This battle is not with flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle going along there and the devil wants to get a foothold. We can't let him. All of this leads to sinful anger that can overtake our lives. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you or corrupt many. Church, unforgiveness is literally the root of Christians living in bondage, oppression, and unhappiness instead of the fullness that we have in Christ. The fullness that he's promised us. As Hebrew said, it, it doesn't just affect us personally. It starts to spread and affect others around us. And the sad thing is, like it's happened in my life, it usually affects the ones we love the most, the worst. Some of you, as we talked about and thought about those questions about anger, maybe some of that is some unforgiveness that is rooted into your heart. Paul's not the only one who tells us to forgive. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. The dictionary clearly defines forgiveness as compassionate feelings that allow a person to pardon another, release and conclude resentment, indignation, or anger as a result of someone's perceived offense, differences, or mistake. And those feelings and the ability to pardon another, they all come from God. In fact, that is God himself. His nature is forgiveness. His nature is grace and compassion for us, his children. And that releases the wrath and the anger that we all deserve because of our sin. Now, Paul, in this passage, doesn't use the normal word for forgiveness here, which speaks about no longer holding people's wrongs against against them. That's the Greek word, aphemi. Instead, Paul uses the word harizmi. This word emphasizes the fact that forgiveness gives people better than what they deserve. I love that. I need that. I need that in my life. I needed that one time in my life. I've needed it multiple times, but it reminds me of a story when I was out of college. I was in a church doing youth ministry and, um, it was, it, was, it was going good, but it was going difficult with a, a leader in the church and I was fired. I was devastated. I had an, my oldest, uh, JP, was 18 months old. Um, Brooklyn, who just gave us a grandbaby, which we'll talk about here in a second. She was uh, going to come in a month, and it rocked our world. There wasn't sin. There was nothing in, unethical that happened um, in my life. But I also knew that I was hard-headed, that I liked to control circumstances and even control people, right? By telling them um, what they need to do or who they need to like. And the lead minister felt that instead of helping a young minister through this time and giving them better than what they deserve, bearing with uh, burdens, it was easier to just make a change 
and to move on from the problem. Three months later, the senior minister that fired me was fired. And the truth was, I felt pretty good. I felt justified, like I'd done nothing wrong. But the crazy thing is that instead of dealing with my pain in a healthy way, this is where I should have gone to counseling and got uh, uh, someone to really help me through all this and to process it. I went on doing many of the same things that had been done to me. I've carried resentment. I've carried anger towards specific people. I've been very defensive at times. I've ran from my problems or difficulty, easily blaming others for my weaknesses. And it's really not been until recent years where I've dealt with some other unforgiveness in my life. I did go to counseling because I couldn't do it alone with Jesus. I needed community to help me get it done. That I really recognized how deep some of these roots were. They'd influenced much of my life. And in a study on forgiveness and reconciliation that my wife Brenda and I are currently doing, I recognize that this past unforgiveness what really was happening was it was carrying over into family members. It, it carried over into work relationships, even into some church communities. Now, God, is still, God can still work. He can still work in us. That's a, the that's a thing that is so confusing sometimes is, is God can do things through our weaknesses, right? But for the Holy Spirit to really live out in us in a way that's victorious, we need to surrender these things. I'd gone through the act of forgiveness, but I was missing an important piece. I had missed repentance for the part that I had played. While Christ's death makes forgiveness available to all, there can be no forgiveness without repentance. See, my personal line of justice had been crossed, and I was more concerned about that and how people had hurt me than the fact that Jesus' line of justice included forgiveness once I was willing to leave my attitude of rebellion, become completely humble and obedient to God. What I've learned is that repentance isn't just a feeling. It's an action. Feeling sorry for our sins may lead us to repentance, but in itself, it's not repentance. Repentance is turning from our rebellion to become obedient to God. It's turning toward God, whether we feel like it or not. It's a radical change of direction. Well, 10 days ago, I had a radical change of direction in my life. You'll see a beautiful picture here of Callahan John Oliver, my first and only grandchild at the time. Woo, yay. We are so happy. He wasn't supposed to be born for four more days. He's a tiny little thing, and, but he's absolutely wonderful. And that picture's weird. He doesn't have giant feet. He's, but he's, he's perfect in every way. But we are not, right? I've already clarified that. I definitely am not. Um, as big Sooner fans, Brenda and I were shopping all summer, just like we did for our kids for some cool Sooner stuff. We found these little red booties that got OU on them. And we found a onesie, a bunch of onesies. We found bibs, all this cool stuff. Gave it to them at the baby shower. Okay? All's good. All's great. Well, a few days later, they come over for dinner, and Brooklyn has a gift. And I'm like, why are we getting a gift? You're having the baby. We were getting our gift back. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I know you married a Texas Longhorn. I still don't know that happened. Thank goodness he loves Jesus and his parents love Jesus. Otherwise, that would have never happened. But he's never been to a game in their stadium. He wasn't born in the same state you were. And I went on this whole rant and let that become first. My 
line of justice had been crossed that was way down here and said some things that hurt. And so, obviously, through just daily time in the Word in Colossians like we've been and working on this sermon for weeks, I knew that what I needed to do was just go say I was sorry, to confess, to repent, not only with the Lord, but with my daughter and her husband. So I went to Luke and Brooklyn's and kind of told them what God had been doing in my heart and that I was really sorry. The most important thing is that that beautiful baby loves Jesus, not that he loves the Sooners. And they wanted to keep a peaceful house, no Sooners, no Texas either in the house. So no puke orange and no beautiful crimson, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's fine. And they're like, when he comes to your house and you babysitting, put all that on him and take it off and let him come to our house. Okay. All right. You're right. I'm wrong. Kind of. We've been there, haven't we? Here's, here's the great praise out of this. They forgave me. Praise the Lord. I didn't deserve it because I had hurt them, but I deserved it because they love Jesus and we all love Jesus and we want what's best for this baby and we don't care what he wears or what color or team he cheers for. But I want you to know this. That's not always promised. You may have been in some relationships where you went to someone and you poured out your heart and you were seeking forgiveness and you seeked it with the Lord and you did all that, but then they did not reciprocate. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. And sometimes it's healthy that we have to set up some boundaries because someone's hurting us or there's maybe even abuse. It doesn't mean we have to break the relationship totally, but forgiveness is something very different than reconciliation. But what forgiveness does bring is it brings a peace brings a peace in your heart, even though there might be hurt, if there's not reconciliation, it brings a peace with you and the Lord, knowing that you've done all that you need to do with him and with the person or people, and you are right with him. That's the final thing. The third thing, as we combat conflict, the scripture there tells us, let the peace of Christ control you. Or most versions say, rule in your hearts. This verse 14 of Colossians 3 It says this at the end of our scripture here today. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. See, it's supposed to be done even in community. And then be thankful. Peace should characterize the community of Christ's people. Peace should be the standard for us as followers of Jesus. It is what we do to help discern the word. We can't go into the word with Jesus and not have peace. Peace should act as Kind of, we're in baseball, right? We're in the World Series. It should act as the umpire in all of our relationships as believers. I think the truth is, though, some of us, we, we kind of like conflict. We enjoy it. It's a little bit easier to deal with. And some of us are holding on to such deep resentment or pain in our hearts that we actually think, the enemy starts to tell us that if we hold on to this unforgiveness, that it's going to hurt the other person worse. But the truth is, oftentimes they don't even remember what they did or what they said or what happened, or they've moved on. And the only person that hurts is you and the other people around you that you love. Let go. Choose. Choose to have peace 
rule in your life. Choose peace to control you. Choose the, t- the things that make for peace, whether for yourself or do it for others in your life that love you. God loves you so much that he cares for us. He acts in our best interests no matter what, because he's perfect, because he's just, because he's righteous. He loves us whether or not we love him. How do we know that? Because he sent his one and only son. He didn't just send him on the earth to be perfect, but he sent him to die for you and for me, for our sins. And we don't deserve that at all. But one of the things in this passage that really helps me is the end are the last couple of words. There's stuff that I've hung on to in my life. And I pray that you can come to a place where you can release that to God because he will bring peace. But I'll tell you a little thing that can help get your heart there. And it's those last two words, be thankful. Do it in your quiet time. Find a place. I do it in my... S-O-A, in my P. I just write down in the prayer two or three things that I'm thankful for and then write a little prayer out to God. If you don't have a soaps journal uh, to follow along in Colossians or whatever study, we've got those in the next steps room. We'd love to have you do one. It just helps you in your quiet time with God. And a lot of times, in fact, I told Becca that uh, she was just wrestling with some things last night as we were talking in her room. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Put your phone away before you go to bed. And I want you to think of three things that you're thankful for. And it just helps us to get our minds focused on something better than all the stuff and, and all the infuriating things that infuriate God that are going on in this world or in our personal lives. So I want us to practice that. I want everybody to stand together. I want you to put everything out of your hands. Let's just stand together. Let's, let's do some obedience to the end of this message. So here's what I want us to do. I just want us to put our hands out in front of us in, in, in kind of a, an openness to, to let God speak to us. And I, I just want to take a minute and I just want you to share with God what you're thankful for. Thank him for what he's done on the cross with his son. Thank you that he's just, that he's perfect that he's righteous. Take this time. Let's just thank him. want us to continue in this time of obedience and just answer the question for the next few seconds, whom in my life do I need to forgive? Whom in my life do I need to forgive? Let the Lord speak to you and just surrender it.
I want us to end this time together with a couple more questions. Whose forgiveness do you need to seek? Who have you wronged that you must go to admit the truth and ask for forgiveness? Whose forgiveness do you need to seek? Father God, it is my prayer that for those of us that are hurting, for those of us that have struggled with anger, with resentment, with bitterness, that we, you will just lift that from us, Lord. Help us to surrender that. Father, I pray that you would speak to us if in any way we've hurt someone else or harmed someone else, even, even maybe by our own ignorance or something we have done or said, Lord, humble us. Speak to us and let us hear you and let us make that relationship better through you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness on the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this last song of our service, if you would like to pray with someone, the prayer team is going to be on the sides of the auditorium. And I highly encourage you to take some time to pray if God spoke to you at all. I I, I just want to say, don't let the devil have a foothold. Go and pray. Pray with someone. Ask them to pray over you for courage to repent, for courage to confess, for courage to put to action whatever God has put on your heart this morning. I'll be at Decision Point out these two doors by the baptistry. I would love to pray with you. Come and and talk to me. I I would love to talk to you about membership or about giving your life to Christ or just to pray over you. You can join me uh, during the song over there out the double doors of Decision Point. If you're watching online, I just want to encourage you. You can connect with a minister by texting or going to our website. It's also a time in our service where I want to encourage you to complete your worship today to the Lord by giving to the ministry here at Northside. You can do that by dropping your gift in the black boxes at each one of the exits here in the auditorium or by texting and get, and going to our website and clicking on giving. So let's finish our time here together in this service with our voices to the Lord in an offering of hallelujah. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.